Oh, come on, can we worship him this night? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Blessed be your name, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, there's a longing to be with him tonight. And he like he wants to be with us. Amen. Well, he is here tonight. Amen. To minister, to reach us. And we are reaching out to him. Hallelujah. What a beautiful presence is here tonight. Hallelujah, Jesus. Doesn't he deserve all of our praise, all of our glory? Doesn't he deserve everything that we have? He's done so much for us. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you tonight. Blessed be your name. We magnify you, God. Hallelujah. There is none like you, Jesus. There is none beside you, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Aren't you grateful that there's no list of formalities that we have to go through and steps we have to do to get into his presence? Once you get in there, all you got to do is to, to cry out to him, open up your heart, and he'll be there right there with you to meet you, to be with you, to walk with you, to, to touch you and comfort you. Hallelujah. We deserve, we, we serve a, a mighty, awesome God. Hallelujah. It's so great to worship together. Man, we just, you just forget about what's going on in the world, don't you? you? Just get your mind on Jesus because that's all that matters, right? He's all that matters. If he's all that we need, we have everything that we need in this life, right? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. It's so good to worship with you all tonight. Amen. And to be in his presence. Amen. And uh, that's all we're going to be doing soon. Just worshiping the Lord forever and ever. Be in his presence for eternity. We don't got to worry about all the things this life has to carry, but soon and very soon, amen, we're going to be with him, amen, amen, and we know that that day is coming, amen, and we got to make sure that we're ready for that, amen, I don't want to miss out on that, what a tragedy to, to show up, show up for all the practice routines, but to miss out on the, on the real game when it counts, you know, we don't want to be going through this for nothing. Man, we've got to make sure that we're ready for the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's so good to see everyone here tonight to worship together. Amen. Thank you for your continued giving to the kingdom of God. We know God is uh, blessing us. No matter what's going on in the world, God will take care of his people, won't he? There's nothing to fear, nothing to worry about, even though if things may be a little shaky or, or things may tank or, or whatever, it doesn't matter. In all situations, God is on the throne, right? Nothing is going to get by God. Amen. We're going to keep our faith and trust in him. Amen. And uh, this Saturday morning, uh, man, we need some help here at the church to do some uh, cleaning up, some renovating, some dem demolition, uh, tear out some things and help put some things up. And so if, if you can be here around 8 o'clock, that would be great. Um, the earlier you get here, you may be able to partake in the demolition of things. But if you arrive here late, you'll be responsible for putting things up, which we all like tearing stuff down. But uh, you show up late enough, you'll be putting stuff up and miss out on the fun. So 8 o'clock, if you can, be here um, to help out. We're trying to get this uh, renovation rolling and, and getting done. Amen. Because we want uh, uh, to be ready for what God has in store. Amen. Amen. So as we are standing, we're going to have our, our young minister come up tonight, Brother Brother Andy Galan, men come and minister what the Lord has laid on your hearts. Thank you, Pastor Locke. Oh, yes, please, uh, we dismiss Kiss Church. They may, they may be dismissed. Praise the Lord. God is good. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, usually when I seek the Lord, he gives me a word, and it's, it comes pretty quick. But this one didn't come so fast. 
And uh, well, let us hear from him and see what he has to say for us. And uh, he's good. If you want to open up your Bibles to Jeremiah 6, 16. And I'm also going to be using my Bible up here because, uh, like I said, this word came to me uh, not as soon as I'd expect. Usually the Lord allows me to, but he said, not this one. This one you're going to, I want you to speak out of your heart. It's something that, uh, that I want you to elaborate on, not to rebuke, but to strengthen the church. Praise the Lord. So Jeremiah 6, 16, it says, Thus says the Lord, Stay ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Praise the Lord. And, uh, and then Jeremiah 2, 1 through 3. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee. The kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in the land that was not sown, Israel was holiness unto the Lord. And the first fruits of his increase, all that devour him shall offend, evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. And the short message is, uh, I'm hoping it's short. I think it will be, praise the Lord. Seeking old paths. Amen. All right, so let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We have prepared our hearts and our mind for your word to take root and cause change in our lives. We do not desire to stay as we are, but to become more so different as to becoming closer to the ways of your desire. We continue to pray for your strength in the Holy Ghost to drive us in the direction of your kingdom in preparing the way of your return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated, everybody. So like I said, I have a few notes, but not entirely. But I'm going to go over this, and then I'm going to, you know, come over to my, the scriptures. And it was, uh, as I started to, as I was praying, I started to tell the Lord, Lord, this is going to be something that I'm not used to. And he says, well, that's good. That's what I want from you. Don't be used to something. You've got to step out of what you're used to and step into something that's uncomfortable. And I said, okay, Lord. So life-changing peace is not from this world. In the scriptures, we find that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and it is he who gives us the rest. In the book of Jeremiah, the Lord is declaring through the prophet, and I quote, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein. And before that, the Lord says to stand in the ways and see. So he wants us to look. The Lord says, pause for a second. Observe your surroundings. Where is your walk? How is your path? Is it the right one? And if it is, then you'll find your way back to me. No one crosses the busy street without looking both ways, or at least I hope not. And in every, and this is very similar to yet spiritual. God wants us to look at all paths uh, of old and follow the one he has set for us. Now then the Lord says to Israel, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals. And I had to look this up just because it was, it was, uh, it was, it was hard hitting. It was heavy on my heart. And again, th there was something specific about this. And it says, "Espouses defined as an act of adopting or supporting a cause, belief, or way of life to adhere to, advocate." And then it says, "Espouse a, contra a contrarian viewpoint to take in marriage, marry." Now I went back, and I, this espoused. A contrarian viewpoint was very interesting to me because I didn't, uh, it sounded contradicting, let's put it that way. And it says it means to embrace a viewpoint that you are against or don't like and you embrace it out of obedience because you know it's the right thing to do. Praise God. You know, the Bible says that God has written his laws on our hearts. And I believe this is one of the reasons why a lot of the times when we come uh, seeking God, there's a hole in our heart. Uh, the scriptures are there, but the Holy Ghost has not taken effect until we come to the understanding and knowing that Jesus Christ wants us to be baptized into his name. Then the scripture reads, uh, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in the land that was not sown, Israel was holiness unto the Lord. 
And I question, well, okay, Lord, I, I understand this, but why, uh, why so? Or what was that made Israel look like holiness? Well, the one thing is they were obedient. God made a statement. He said, hear what I have to say. If you obey it, then you are in my ways. That brings you into holiness. He not only desired for us to be in holiness, but he also took us out of a place where we were once in the world, and he brought us out of the world. So he is separating us for that very, that separation of us and world is what brings us into holiness. Praise the Lord. God is referring to times more also uh, to the times of Abraham and his descendants, to the times before the children of Israel entered into Egypt. Once the children enter, entered Egypt, it was a done deal. They started to adopt, and this isn't, it, would, it wasn't exactly right away, but it was receiving and understanding that we are with these people and I believe it was it was we know that it was over time that eventually their minds transformed and they believed on other gods versus God it talks about whoredom and this is one of the things that I'm going to go over with now if we look at what kind you know what's important and this is just some of my notes we always find what we are looking for to be really what is important and trust me sometimes you're going to find yourself heading in the wrong direction in that thing that you think is really important. But God says that's not what's important. What's important is my instruction, my way. Ask of the old paths where there is where is the good way and walk therein. So again, I said I earlier I said about seeking a place and uh, or or keeping our eyes open. And I'm just going to give you a, a quick story. It was it'll be real quick, I hope. Uh, but years ago, I was uh, traveling. We were heading to Mexico, and my dad uh, got lost. Now. Mexico is, is huge, but this particular place was a city. So every road looked like it went everywhere. You, just, you, could, you could take a map, and my dad was not someone who could easily get lost. But this time, he was lost. And he wouldn't tell my mom, estamos perdidos, we are lost. And finally, you know, she finally said, okay, I'm pulling over. Said, Why? Because we're lost. So he finally admitted that he was lost, and there was an importance to that. He was admitting that he was lost. And then he had to tell his wife that he was lost, which was my mom. And then he had a, and then he's pulled over a taxi, and he asked the guy, "Hey, uh, I was wondering, could you help me out here? Could you direct me in that way to get out of here?" And he said, "No problem. Just look at, keep, keep your eyes on my cab. It's going to be fast. Well, we're going to get you." He took a shortcut. We, we, he, and I say shortcut because we were in town. He brought us all the way around to a backside, and he quickly, before you knew it, we were at the road that he was looking for. And he said, well, you know, I'd, and, he, we'd, and again, we'd been there for an hour or maybe more, and we found our way. But it was only for that reason that my dad finally said, you know what, I can't find this place. Hey, sweetheart, honey, I can't find it. I'm going to get a taxi. Okay, God wants us to come with that same humility and say, come and look for that path. That path, I'm going to bring you to that path. That path is going to take you to where you need to be found. That is salvation in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Okay, so, and I'm just going to, and God gave me some pointers here, and I say pointers, but they're just small notes. And he says that when we find that path, we find peace because we have found rest. And many of us can agree to this, uh, and th this is going to kind of hit home a little bit because I, I drive around quite a bit. We see the homeless out there, and they uh, at times are asking and they're in need because there is no peace there. There is no rest they don't have that road yet, not that I know of, because I see them and they, are, they seem to be troubled. So then, of course, you have the political. I'm going to say, and, and I'm not pointing any fingers, but sometimes political events can draw you in and you become attached to that. And guess what? Your peace is gone and there is no rest. Amen. For unforgiveness, that's a no-brainer. And, uh, and God wants us to move in forgiveness so that we can have rest. To not have that is to... Not, the Lord says is that we don't, we don't love him. We don't forgive that we don't love. He is love. He is love. Love forgives. He forgives for all our sins. Praise the Lord. What is the cause of these thoughts of man to take place? It is the thought of forgetfulness of God who is. Uh, for how will this last? And this is something that God brought to me while I was drawing. And this is, I'm, I'm off the sub. No, I'm sorry, not off the subject. I'm, I'm back to where I was. And God brought this to me. I'm driving down the road again. And, and I'm thinking of all this scripture because I read Jeremiah uh, chapter 1 through 6. And this is how I got to this place. So God is, God, God is looking at all these things that took place. 
and he is telling Jeremiah to speak of all these things. And the one thing that, you know, that really, again, it caught me by surprise as well, is that God calls Israel the wife. He calls Israel the wife. And Judah is referred to as the, the sister, I believe, if I, I remember correctly. And he, he talks about how the sister is, uh, Israel saw exactly what the sister was doing, and Israel didn't care. She didn't care. Continued to walk in her ways. And God, God looked at that, and he continually spoke to Israel. And I'm, I'm assuming through Judah as well, uh, and, other, and tell him to, you know, to come back. Throughout this entire book, God is reaching out to his people who he chose to be in his ways. He chose the Hebrew people. We are not, we are not the wife. We are the bride. Do you know what that means? We are the bride. That means that we are not yet married. There is an opportunity for us to seek the face of God before he comes back. That way we can find salvation or keep it, I should say, if we somehow have lost our way. And he will bring us back into that rest and into that peace. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Okay, now like I said, I was going to jump in real quick. If, I'm, if I don't have, I don't want to take too much of pastor's time here. So <laughs> just a little bit. So here I find he's referring to it as as the wife, and uh, he, he's talking about divorce. He's he's saying, well, he's going to divorce, but in that divorce, we know very well what he's talking about. He's saying that because she has gone into whoredom, uh, Israel and Jude, uh, they both have done it. They're they're into the place of where they shouldn't have been. They they have. As people say, call it Pandora's box. You shouldn't open that. You shouldn't go into that. You should stay completely away from that. I would almost consider it like witchcraft because, again, we know that it's rebellion against the Lord. So the Lord then brings it to me, and he says, okay, now look at yourself. And uh, I look at myself, and I said, Lord, well, I don't know what you mean by that. And I believe this is one of the reasons why it took such a while, such a, a time. Not, You know, it, it, was, um, it was delayed and I started to think, well, Lord, I'm praying every day, and I'm seeking your face every day, so I don't know what you mean by that. And I was pointing the finger back at God. And then he said, uh, you know, when you pray, how is your heart? Is your heart really there? Did you just pray? I mean, are you in there for an hour? Are you seeking my face do you really desire to be in my presence? See, God talks about the pe taking the people out into the wilderness, out of the wilderness, out into the out, out of the world, into the wilderness, to a place of holiness. We cannot leave this place, but we can leave this place and go into the wilderness in our prayer. You shut your eyes and you give God the praise and the glory for the life that you have here today. And you say, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for, for all that you have given me. I give thank God praise for my children. I give God thanks for, for, for what I eat and what I drink. Because that's what the Bible says to do. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Am I right? That's not me. That's scripture. And God blessed me with that. And as I, as I mentioned, I was, I was driving down the road. And I'll say this. It was with tears in my eyes that I couldn't stop. I couldn't pull over. There was cars on both sides. I couldn't see what was in front of me. But all I could say was, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your mercy. We are the bride. We are the bride. We are not yet married. We, 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 we don't have to worry about receiving condemnation because we have that mercy and that grace. We are the wife. I'm sorry. We are, we are not the wife. We are the bride. Praise the Lord. And in closing... I know I didn't, I didn't go too much. It was just a little bit. I could keep going, but I'm not going to do that. Praise the Lord. Okay, yeah. Thank you, Brother Emil. He's supportive up here. All right, I'm going go to go uh, to 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse, uh, you, you just put up on the screen, Brother, for me, 226 to 28. Otherwise, I'm going to shuffle through my Bible. Well, actually, you know, I do have it up. And it says, and the word says, praise the Lord. Amen. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. This is 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. Oh, 26 through 28. 
but the anointing, anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And, oops, sorry about that. I don't know what happened here. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence, trust, we know that we have it, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Praise God. That's, and I wanted to close with that. And just, just to, and we, are, we are living in a time where distractions come in all forms, and we must learn to balance our lives, more so walking in the ways that will bring rest to our souls. Is uh, is such meaning that it's such a, such a meaning that we would keep ourselves separated from the worldly involvement. Hence, maintaining our integrity and protecting our testimony as children of God. Not that we should boast, but that we should be glad to bring praise and glory to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I pray the Lord blessed you with this word today. Again, it was laying heavy on my heart, uh, and it was something that the Lord brought to me shortly after this is what I want you to talk about so again if if God convicted you that's a good thing but no there's no condemnation here God's not here to condemn he's come here he's here to release us Pastor Phil thank you amen brother just went a little bit over just a little bit amen um yeah Always ask for the old paths. You can never go wrong with the old paths. Man, with all the things going on in the world today, the Bible still says that it is the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so there is, uh, as dark as it is out there, there is a lighted path that we can walk in. And that is going to be the path of the old ways that is found in the word of God. And so thank you for uh, that reminder, amen, to not always chase our heart because our heart may desire new things. But God may say, hey, that's a distraction, and you want to go back to the old ways. Man, the old ways will never uh, never uh, lead you astray. You want to know, uh, you want to know some good things and, and, and some wisdom, you go ask the elders, because they know the old paths. They know the stuff that works. When these young kids get up, and uh, they think they know all the ways, and they end up traveling through dirt paths and behind hills and stuff, and injure themselves, and... Just ask for the elders, and they know the way. Amen. But you got to humble ourselves, right? You got to admit to your wife that you're lost, and uh, and then ask for directions. Amen. So as we are, we're going to continue on our series, um, the Great Mystery, Part Six. Uh, I'll read a few verses. You don't have to stand. Ephesians three and eight. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? To make all men see what is this fellowship of the mystery from which the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. And so we've been talking about uh, the, the great mystery uh, that is underneath those clouds, if you will. That was hidden since the beginning of the world, and that mystery has been revealed, and that is the church. The Old Testament prophets could not see the church, frankly, because the church was on a different path, a different train track than Israel was on, uh, and so they could not see that. But God has a plan for the church, and He has a plan for Israel. And where they come together, we know, is in the millennial clink millennial kingdom that will soon be arriving on this earth with the second coming of our Lord and Savior. Last week we looked into, uh, well not last week, but recently we looked into the Jewish marriage ceremony and how that mysteriously ties in with the church, the bride of Christ, and how the bride and the groom are in the Father's house for one week before the bride is revealed to the world according to Jewish custom. And how that ever does coincide with Daniel's 70th week, the time of great tribulation that is here on the earth. And if the bride is in the Father's house in heaven, then the bride will not be here during that time. And last week we looked into those mysterious 24 elders. 
that are seated around the throne in heaven. And as we began to look into each characteristic and each adjective that described them, we also found those same characteristics that were spoken to the church. That if you overcome, then you will sit with me and, and overcome and, and all these things. In Revelation 2 and 3, God spoke to the churches. And it appears that the 24 elders and the church are very similar in the, the things that are attributed to them. And if that is the case, then it would also line up with the church being raptured into heaven before the first seal is even opened in the book of Revelation. But uh, tonight we are going to look into the mysterious departure of the church, or more specifically, when Paul is writing to the Thessalonians about the coming day of the Lord. But uh, before we go there, we need to understand why Paul is writing to the Thessalonians and First and Second Thessalonians, the purpose of these writings, and why is it that in these two letters, these two books, he talks a lot about the return of Jesus Christ, talks a lot about the end times and tribulation and, and persecution. Why, why is he writing these things to the Thessalonians? And so... Uh, if you go with me to Acts chapter 17, uh, I'm going to read a few verses here and just uh, quickly go through them. But this is the setting. This is establishes the setting for Thessalonians. Um, verse 1, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them in three Sabbath days. A Sabbath day is what, Sunday? So three Sabbath days means three weeks. So he was there in the temple for three weeks talking about the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. That is Jesus, whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed, some of the Jews that were in the synagogue, consorted with Paul and Silas, of the devout Greeks, a great multitude. So there's a lot of Greeks there that believe. A, a big multitude of, of, of Greeks um, that believed. And of the chief women, not a few. Meaning there's a lot of women that believed as well. Very few Jews believed. A lot of Greeks um, and a lot of women believed in what Paul was preaching. But Verse 5, but the Jews which believed not moved with envy took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. When they had found them not, they drew Jason and, and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And so Paul and Silas, when they came into Thessalonica, they stayed at Jason's house. He let them in and, and uh, opened his house to them. And so when the Jews were getting upset, they said, we're going to go and get Paul and Silas, these guys that are preaching this new gospel, that there's a new king, Jesus. They had, Paul and Silas weren't at Jason's house, and so they grabbed Jason and they throw him in before the city elders. Uh, and you got to be wondering what Jason's thinking. Hey, I'm just, just helping out some brothers. But, hey, this is, this is life or death with the Jews. It was a new doctrine. Um, and so, verse 9, And when they had taken security of Jason and all the others, they let them go. They made them pay a, a fee or a fine or whatever it is that they asked of him before they let him go. Uh, and so, finally, Jason had, was able to go. Verse 10, and the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. And so once the Jews in Thessalonica caused a city uproar, they got everyone involved, even the unbelievers, as they said, fellows, lewd fellows of a baser sort. They got the thugs out. Uh, these Jews were upset. Because Paul came in and started preaching something that they didn't like. They, they obviously rejected Jesus a long time ago. And here, here Paul is on his second missionary journey out preaching the gospel. Uh, and so the Jews stirred up the whole city. 
And so Paul and Silas said, we can't stay here because we ain't going to survive. And so they, they take them away unto Berea. Uh, they go in the synagogue there. In verse 11, these were more noble Jews, or more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness in mind and searched the scriptures daily whose things were so. And so these obviously were more receptive of this gospel. And therefore, verse 12, many of them believed also of honorable women which were of Greeks and of men not a few. Again, a lot, lot more Gentiles were believing than Jews were. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. So they heard from the, the town across the way, and they say, Paul's over in Berea preaching the same stuff. And these Jews in Thessalonica were so mad that they marched to another town hunting down Paul. Uh, and so uh, they came and they stirred up the people. Verse 14, then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea. But Silas and Timothy abode there still. And they that had conducted Paul brought him unto Athens and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timothy for to come to him with all speed, they departed. And so Paul couldn't stick around. They were after Paul's head. And so Paul says, I got to go. And he dips out to Athens. Uh, and he, he, he's there. Meanwhile, Silas and Timothy stay behind because they had just started this church in Thessalonica. He was there preaching for three weeks or maybe a month or so, all these new believers. Uh, and so Paul's not just going to dip out and leave this new, new baby church all by themselves, left with those Jews, those crazy Jews in Thessalonica. I mean, if they were going to kill Paul, what do you think is going to happen to these, this new church in Thessalonica? So Paul, so Paul says to, to Silas and Timothy, you guys stay back. You go and look out for that church. Um, I'll go to Athens, and I'm going to write you guys a letter, and we're, we'll converse through letters. Thus we get First and Second Thessalonians because Paul's writing back to the church that he had just left. Uh, and so that is how Thessalonica started. And as you can see, Paul's church planting days ended rather abruptly because the Jews were not having any of it. And, and since it wasn't safe for Paul to return to his church, he wrote them letters and saw Silas and Timothy watched over them. And so the Jews obviously were on the war path out to get Paul. And so this young church in Thessalonica, things were not looking good for them and they faced immediate persecution. Not by the world, but by the Jews. I mean, they, they hunted down Paul. I feel bad for those that were still living in Thessalonica that, had to, that were believing this. Uh, and so let's dive into the letter that Paul writes them in 2 Thessalonians 1. Paul's, Paul and Silas and Timothy, under the church of Thessalonians, in our God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly from the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God, in your patience and faith, in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. They're, they're getting it hard. And the Jews are coming after these, these poor saints. Um, which is a manifest, manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. So he's, he's saying, hang in there, guys. God's going to have the final say. You're facing hard times. God's gonna, God will take care of it. Uh, and so then he says, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. This is, should comfort you. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. And so... You see how the coming of the Lord is a comfort to them. Even though they're being persecuted, 
Paul's trying to comfort them and saying, hey, don't worry, God's going to come and God's going to handle business because they're persecuting you, God will take care of them. And so, verse 11, wherefore we also pray for you always that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of his faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ might be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and Lord, Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ. Going into chapter 2, now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus and by our gathering together unto him. What is he talking about there? Our gathering together unto him. He's talking about the rapture. We're going to be, when Jesus comes, we're going to be raptured with him. Uh, and so uh, he's still comforting them. But apparently, after Paul sent his first letter to the Thessalonians, after that first letter was written, uh, was read to the church there, somebody was circulating another letter that they were claiming it was from Paul. They're saying Paul wrote another letter. And in that letter, they were saying that they were facing uh, the judgment day. They were facing uh, great judgment that all that persecution and tribulation that the Thessalonians were facing was because the day of the Lord was at hand and they were experienced the great tribulation, the wrath of God. That's what this letter, supposed letter, was, was saying. And so this is why Paul is writing back his purpose for the second letter. Verse 2, look what he says, That ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, somebody wrote a letter, as, was the letter say, as that the day of Christ is at hand. And so apparently in this letter they were saying, hey, this is the great tribulation. Look at you guys are being persecuted, you're being killed. So this is obviously the great tribulation. Um, and so Paul's writing says he's going to correct this. He says, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, the day of the Lord, shall not come. Except there be a falling away first, that a man that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Who is that? That's the Antichrist. Uh, who opposes and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And so this whole, this letter is not to teach them a new thing. But Paul is there to remind them, hey, I was with you guys. Remember, I told you all of this stuff. But because of this false letter that was being circulated and saying this is the great tribulation, Paul say, hey, I got to write these, write them back and let them know this is not the great tribulation that people are saying. Um, and so uh, it's because of that false letter. And so he had to remind them of his teaching. If you put picture number one up, please. And so this is where, this is what they were thinking in the yellow. They were thinking that, hey, we're here in the great tribulation. Obviously, we're being persecuted by everybody. And so they're thinking that we're in the great tribulation. And, and uh, picture number two, Paul's writing them back to say, hey, no, you're not in the great tribulation. The day of the Lord has not come yet. You are still here in the church age. And so this is the purpose of that. That's why the rapture is talked about here. The end times is talked about in Thessalonians uh, because they're thinking that they were in the end times. And Paul says, it's not, that day hasn't come yet. I need to correct that. And so telling them that they hadn't missed the rapture and that they were not in the great tribulation even though they were being persecuted. And so Paul says in verse 3 that even before... That time comes, even before the, the great tribulation comes, two things have to happen first. And they clearly haven't happened yet. In verse 3 it says, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day the great tribulation shall not come except there come a falling away first and that the man of sin be revealed. So a falling away has to happen first and then the Antichrist will be revealed to the earth then after that, then the great tribulation can come. But not until those two things happen first. And so uh, a great falling away must happen and the Antichrist be revealed. And so 
What we're going to look at tonight is that first thing that Paul mentions is a falling away first has to happen. And so what does that mean? It's a pretty significant thing if it has to happen before the Antichrist can even be revealed. A falling away first. And so this falling away has to be clearly identified, otherwise... Paul would not have specifically said it must happen. This must happen, and then the Antichrist will be revealed. A falling away must happen first. And so now uh, we as English readers take these words, and we compute them with our 20th century brains, and we, we say falling away. Okay, I kind of I understand what that, I, I guess I get what that means. Well, Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago from Athens, Greece, and he didn't write it in English. He wrote it in Greek. And so translators put it into English for us. And so the Greek word that Paul uses here is apostasia, apostasia. And so the Greek noun apostasia is a compound word, which obviously two words come together, we get that. The first word is apo, A-P-O which means away from, and the second word is histemi, which means to stand. And so apostasia means to stand away from or to depart. If you're going to stand away from the pulpit, you'll probably depart from the pulpit. You'll stand away, meaning you're going to depart. And so a better English word would be departure. And so the question then becomes... If there has to be a departure first, what, is the, what are we departing from? What is this departure? And I think mo- it is most commonly believed that it is a departure from the faith, a falling away, a backsliding. Uh, but it can also mean a physical departure as well. That word, apostasia, can mean physical departure. Not just spiritual or a doctrinal departure, but it can mean physical departure. And so Greek lexicons define the word as a rebellion against God, apostasy, departure, disappearance, distance, revolt, defection, apostasy, divorce, departure, standing aloof. And so when we read the words falling away, we are automatically thinking of a spiritual departure. If it is a spiritual falling away... How do we know when it happens? This obviously has to be a significant event because once this happens, then the Antichrist comes. And so if it is a spiritual departure, if it is a, uh, a backsliding that takes place, how do we know it's done and then the Antichrist can come? How do we know? What identifies the falling away that must happen before the Antichrist is revealed? People backslide all the time. And if we are looking for the return of Jesus and before he comes, a falling away must first happen. And so how do we know it has happened or is happening? I mean, we, we, know, we know the, the, the few people that we know, uh, maybe some of them are backsliding or falling away. But we're talking on a worldwide scale here. How do we know? How do we in Fort Myers know a falling away is happening all across the world? How do we know that? We have to know that before the Antichrist can even happen, be, be revealed. And so uh, that is the falling away that Paul is talking about, if, if that is. And how do we identify it? Because uh, Paul, says, uh, Paul says we can because he said this must happen. And so it's obviously we've got to be able to put our finger on something and say, ah, that's the falling away, the Antichrist is coming. Um, And so uh, he said it must happen before the man of sin is revealed. And the truth is, is that Paul witnessed much falling away even in his time. First, uh, Second Timothy 1, 15, this thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. Everyone in Asia turned away from me. That sounds like a falling away, right? 2 Timothy 4.10, for Demas has forsaken me, 
He's fallen away. He has loving this present world and has departed unto Thessalonica and all those other places. 2 Timothy 4.14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. I like how he prays there. Lord reward that man according to his works. Did me much evil. Of whom be thou where also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. And so Paul obviously saw a witness of falling away many times, and even all throughout history. I mean, how, how long have you been in church, and how, many, how much falling away have you witnessed? People that you know that are no longer in church. Paul witnessed backsliding all the time, and he, let, he was left alone. And he said, all those that are in Asia forsook me. Uh, and so uh, this obviously wasn't the falling away that Paul was talking about because we're still here 2,000 years later. And so he does say that there will be some that fall away in 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times shall some depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And so how are we to identify this falling away? This spiritual departure, because it is pretty important because it has to happen before the Antichrist can even be revealed, and thus the return of Jesus Christ can't even happen until the Antichrist is revealed, and then all that stuff happens. And so, and the way that things look out there, the stage to me is getting set for the Antichrist to walk out at any moment. It seems at least to me that he can show up any time. But he can't until first... A falling away happens. And so, um, how do we identify? If we are in the last days, how are we going to identify this falling away? There has to be a, a, what, a, a massive backsliding before the Antichrist is revealed. Well, it, it, it seems like most of his work would be done if everyone's backslid before he even shows up. Right? A massive falling away and then the Antichrist comes? It seems to make more sense to me that once the Antichrist comes and he deceives the whole world, then there's going to be a massive falling away. But uh, a ma there must be a massive falling away before he can come out on stage. I mean, that, it's, 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 it's interesting that it's used there. And so how does that make sense? To me, it makes sense that once he shows up, then things really get bad. Um, but um, that is supposed to happen before he is even revealed. And how does the end game falling away work with the end time revival? When we talk about a latter rain, God pouring out a spirit in a latter rain, and there's going to be a, a great revival, but yet there's got to be a great falling away before the Antichrist can come. How's, how do these things work, how they tie in together, which which comes first, the falling away, then the revival, and then the Antichrist shows up, or is it revival, and then a falling away, and then the Antichrist comes, but what, how does this all work together, because Paul specifically mentioned this event happening first, and it must happen before a lot of the end time things even start to come to pass, there must be a falling away first, so this seems to be the, the trigger. And so how do we know? How do we identify this? What if, uh, but what if Paul didn't mean a spiritual departure? Uh, what if he didn't mean a doctrinal departure? But what if Paul meant a physical departure? Does that change anything? Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there be a departure first, that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. What if Paul was talking about a physical departure? If he meant a physical departure, then that kind of sounds like maybe a rapture happening. And then the Antichrist is revealed. Which the rapture is something that would be without a doubt undeniable and identifiable to those that are left behind. And so, um, picture number three, if you would. And so, these are Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3. 
The King James Version has, it says, a falling away first. But previous Bibles, before the King James was put together in 1611, this is what the previous Bibles said must happen first. A departing must first happen, and then the Antichrist comes. All those Bibles did. And then in, in 1576, the Catholic Reims Bible said a revolt must first happen, and then the Antichrist can come. What is interesting uh, about that is, is why did the Catholic not use the parting like all the other Bibles did? Why did they say a revolt must first happen? Well, because what happened to the Catholic Church by a guy, a guy named Martin Luther? The Protestant Reformation, the Protestant Revolt, a big, massive, according to the Catholics, a massive falling away happened when, when Luther nailed his thesis to the walls. And so maybe when the Catholics were putting their Bible together uh, and, and interpreting, they said, we're not, not going to say a departing needs to happen, but I, we think that this actually means a spiritual departure, meaning uh, people falling away from the faith, i.e. Martin Luther and all his believers, uh, because this must happen first before God coming back. And so maybe that, maybe that had some influence on the, the people who interpreted King James' version when they said, so they said, oh, a falling away. But notice how those, all, all those Bibles said a departing must happen first, according to that Greek word that they translated there. And so if Paul is saying that a physical departure must happen first before the Antichrist is revealed, does that line up with Paul's teaching on the rapture? That the rapture was the rapture was a pretty big deal with Paul. He's the one who explained the rapture a lot. And so he talks about it a lot in all his epistles. And so instead of, if, of him saying if the rapture was such an event that he was looking forward to, instead of Paul saying the rapture first has to happen before the Son of Man, uh, before the man of sin is revealed, instead of saying that, he says a major backsliding has to happen. Could it be that Paul, when Paul wrote that to the Thessalonians, could it be that he actually meant a departure must happen before the Antichrist comes? And the translators just said, hey, we're going to say it's a falling away, uh, a, a, a backsliding instead of a physical departure. Who knows? Um, only Paul knows and the Thessalonians, because he said, you guys do all this. I'm just writing it back to you. But we're obviously 2,000 years later. We don't know. We have what we've been given. Um, and, and so we make do with what we can. Uh, musicians, you would come. And so uh, he says, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there be a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God and that has worshipped God, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was wet yet with you, I told you all these things. Verse 6, and ye know, you guys already know, what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Now, who is he still talking about? He's still talking about the Antichrist. You know, Thessalonians, you guys know because I told you, you know what is holding back the Antichrist before he can be revealed in his time. And so there is something that is withholding him. There is something that is holding back and keeping the Antichrist from being revealed. And we're to think that that is a, a massive backsliding, a falling away. You mean to tell me that the only thing that is keeping the Antichrist from showing up is a massive backsliding? How does a falling away or a departure from the faith, how does that hold back the Antichrist? He's handcuffed until enough people backslide. And then he's released to go and deceive even more people. I thought that's kind of what he's already doing right now. Calling, causing people to fall away as Paul witnessed himself. He saw falling away. He causes people to fall away. But Paul is saying here, or at least they, they, they think he's saying, 
that in order for the Antichrist to be revealed, a greater falling away has to happen. If you stand with me tonight. It says, you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. He's saying the spirit of Antichrist is already at work. The spirit of the Antichrist is at work in the world. He's already deceiving people. He's already already causing people to err from the faith. He's already causing people to turn away and cause them to backslide and, and do all these things. Uh, but he's saying that there's still, there's something that is restraining him. Because his spirit's working, but he, he can't be revealed as a man to the world and take over the world. So something is holding the Antichrist back. And if we're believing that it is a doctrinal falling away, then, a ma- then, we have, then we're saying that a massive backsliding is what is holding, keeping the Antichrist from showing up. And he goes on to say, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Verse 8, and then shall that wicked be revealed. And so he's saying that someone or something is holding back the Antichrist from showing up. And only he that now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And so he's saying something has to be taken out of the way in order for the wicked one to be revealed. Something has to be moved out of the way in order for the Antichrist to show up, whom the Lord will consume with the spirit of his mouth, shall destroy the brightness of his coming. And so in verse 7, he is saying that something physically has to be removed out of the way to keep the restraints off, to take the handcuffs off the Antichrist before he is allowed to be revealed. The wicked one is revealed. Uh, but, it, but four verses earlier, we're, we're, we're told that a, a falling away must happen, a backsliding must happen before the man of sin is revealed. It seems like they're talking about the same event. Before the man of sin is revealed, before the wicked one is revealed, something is restraining him from keeping him from being revealed. And the only way that verse 3 and verse 7 perfectly align and make sense is that if a physical departure happens. Doesn't that make sense that the church of the living God that is here on the earth, filled with his spirit, who has been given power to bind and to loose, who has been given power over all the enemy, couldn't the church be the one that is restraining the Antichrist from showing up? And the Antichrist cannot be revealed until the the church is taken out, until he who letteth now letteth and and let get it out of the way. And so uh, when God raptures his church out of this earth, there's nothing left to restrain the Antichrist from coming to power. Because he says there's something that is holding him back. And I, it's, it's hard for me to believe that the only thing that's hold, that has the power to hold back the Antichrist is just a massive backsliding event. I think that, that uh, it has to be more than just a, 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 a scriptural backsliding, but I think that uh, there has to be a physical departure when the church is taken out of here and then there's no restraints left on the Antichrist. And um, um, I believe that we are part of that church um, and we, through our prayers that we're praying every single day, every time we get down and pray and every time we call out the names of our lost loved ones and, and, and family members and the backsliders, every time we, we plead the blood of Jesus Christ, we're holding back the Antichrist because we're still here. We're still praying. We're still believing. We're still binding and we're still loosing. And the devil can't do anything as long as the church is here. And that's why there has to be a departure first 
before he can even come onto the stage. And I believe that that is happening soon and very soon. And as the world gets darker, and as the world is turning towards wickedness, and, and things are aligning, and the world's all coming together, that just means that there's something happening, a departure's getting ready to happen before the Antichrist can show up and have the final seven years. And uh, I'm grateful to be a part of that church. Uh, and we're, it's not the time to quit praying, but now's the time to keep praying even more. Keep bowing down and keep pleading the blood of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we still have the power. We still have the power to bind and to loose. And while we're still here, we still have power over all the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt us. Amen. So we in the end time church, we need to keep on praying, keep on believing, because uh, we have that restraining power. And if the church gives up, if the church gets comfortable, if the church actually falls away, people fall away uh, from spiritually and, and from the doctrine, then what's going to be left to, to hold back the Antichrist? We have that power inside of us, and it's, on, it's for us to keep that fire burning, to allow God to, to, to speak through us and use us in His mighty way in these last days because I believe that there's not just going to be a, a, a some that fall away, but I believe that there's going to be an end-time revival, a mighty outpouring of God's Spirit, and we're part of it. We're, gonna, we're seeing the beginnings of that, and we got to stay strong. We still got to stay prayed up. We still got to uh, stay say believing in the word of God because the devil doesn't want us here he doesn't want us to be taken out of here he wants us to be left behind well I got news for the devil and all his minions I'm going to make sure that I'm getting I'm going to be departed out of this place amen this place is not our home but we're going to go be with Jesus you believe that with me amen as we sing tonight let's just begin to magnify God let's begin to thank him for what he's going to do and he's doing in our lives today God, help us to push back the forces of darkness. God, you've given us that power and authority to do that. Let's do that every single day. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, we lift our hands. We lift our hands to you today. As we magnify you. We magnify you, Jesus. You deserve the glory. Hallelujah. Help us, Jesus. Magnify your name, the loose. for you are great. Hallelujah, worship him let's lift up the name of Jesus let's thank him for his word let's thank him for what he's doing in our lives God help us Lord to go out God Lord to advance the kingdom of God in this world to push back the forces of darkness in Jesus name 
Hallelujah, Jesus. That's why Paul uses the rapture, the return of Jesus Christ. He says, comfort one another with these words. That no matter how bad it gets, no matter how much tribulation or persecution you face, Paul says, be encouraged. Jesus is on his way. He's coming to get you. He's coming to take us to a better place. Amen. And uh, no matter how bad it gets out there or how bad we think it gets, it's going to get a whole lot worse once a church leaves. You got to make sure you're you're on that bus. You're on that train with the church otherwise cuz you don't want to be here when the antichrist shows up. If you happen to see the antichrist show up, you missed out on something. You missed out on a big event that happened first. Amen. And so I want to uh, I want to see who the antichrist is from the the balcony seats in heaven. That's where I'm going to find out who he is. I don't want to wait stick around down here to figure out who he is. Amen. Man, there's great things in store for the church. Amen. Let's stay faithful. Let's stay prayed up. Let's stay focused on God's word, and he's going to do great things through us because there's going to be a great revival. Amen. God bless you all. You're just dis- dismissed in Jesus' name. Tomorrow, food. Uh, is it the same refrigerated stuff? Okay, we got some more. Uh,